Our minds are so powerful that what we focus on reverberates through every aspect of our lives. So why not see what happens when we put our attention on all the good things people are doing? Join me for the good with Teresa G as we start a ripple effect by focusing on all the greatness in the world. Stephen Ritz is a South Bronx educator administrator who believes that students shouldn't have to leave their community to live, learn, and earn in a better one. Moving generations of students into spheres of personal and academic successes, which they have never imagined, while reclaiming and rebuilding the Bronx. Stephen's extended student and community family have grown more than 40,000 pounds of vegetables in the Bronx while generating extraordinary academic performance. Stevens Bronx Classroom featured the first indoor edible classroom in New York City Department of Education while routinely generating enough produce to provide healthy meals to 450 students while training the youngest nationally certified workforce in America. His programming is approved for school garden to school cafe, growing the food served in school and classrooms all year long. His students have embarked on growing projects from Boston to Rockefeller Center to the Hamptons and beyond, all while earning living wages en route to graduation. They have gone on to install over 100 gardens in New York City and countless across America and around the globe. Oh my goodness, I am so excited to have you here today, Stephen. Thank you so much. Si se puede. Let's do this. I'm thrilled to be here. I just finished your book, The Power of the Plant, this week, and I had tears of awe throughout the entire book. And I really can't recommend your book enough to everybody. I loved it so much. So I just wanted to congratulate you on such a great book. Well, thank you. It was a joy to write, a joy to share, and I hope everyone gets out there and experiences the power of a plant from impossible to impossible and get some si se puede spirit going on themselves. Well, it's true because the book just constantly has uh, just amazing moments. You've had so many amazing moments where you've touched your students in such a deep level throughout your career that I think that's just... And then me, and then me, not to interrupt you, and then me. So it, it's an equal relationship. I feel like, you know, I've been given way more than, than I, I, I've received way more than I've ever given. So I want to put that right out there from the top. Well, I love that. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Let's go back to your very first teaching job in the 80s. You were in your tw really early 20s or maybe not even 20 years. Oh, and I think I was 20 going to turn 21. OMG, flashbacks. OMG is right. And you, so you started working at what I would call one of the most dangerous schools in the country. Um, how did that experience shape your passion for teaching and students, you think? Well, there are so many pieces to that question. But first and foremost, I never expected to be a teacher, never planned on it. But when you show up in a building where you're supposed to go to the fifth floor and you get in an elevator and lunge to the basement and your supervisor gets out, looks around and says, hmm, I think I'm not in the right place. That's a place where you know no matter what you're going to succeed. So for someone with no experience and no knowledge of what I was really doing, I felt that no matter what, I couldn't go wrong there. Um, and remarkably, not only did I not go wrong, 
in so many ways, I really went right. And that's really the story of my book. You know, passion, purpose, and hope will get you real close to the finish line. And sometimes one big leap of faith will get you into the end zone. And if not, you fail, you dust yourself off, you get up and you try again until you get it right. And that's what it's all about. But it was absolutely a monumental experience at a very tumultuous time in both New York City history, Department of Ed history, and my own life. Um, So just glad to have made it through it and come out on top and able to look back reflectively and learn from it and just celebrate the successes. Yeah, the part of the book where you're talking about that, uh, your first job, it just seems like most people would have just ran away. (laughs) Well, most people did. Most people did. I mean, you know, my basic teacher training consisted of one box of chalk, two keys, a five pieces of paper with a list of names on it and two bits of advice. Good luck. And that was it. Good luck. What do you think inspired you as in your childhood? What shaped you in your childhood that made you so compassionate at 2021 with these students that you're working with? So what made me compassionate is I grew up in a very people rich environment. And what I meant, what I mean by that is my life was a series of stories, a series of relationships, a, a, a series of give and take kind of interactions with people who I loved, who not only added days to my life, but literally life to my days. It was a time where the Bronx was a city of neighborhoods where we were always one phone call, one secret knock, or one handshake away from something amazing or something really cool. And of course, this was before the internet, cell phones, all these things. It was really about people. I grew up in a time where we loved people and used things. And I was thrust into a world where people were used and we loved things. And I wanted just to get back to loving people. And I think that part of human nature is to respond to love. So my job is to love children until they learn to love themselves. And I was very good at that. In turn, I received a lot of love, and in turn, we grew something greater. I'm mindful that no child rises to low expectations. So do you think that's the key component in your teaching style that grabs the students is your love, that you're just loving them exactly who they are? Or what do you think is? I'm a very accepting person. I think what makes my teaching style work is I am determined to get to yes. My attitude is that if they bring their body, their brain will follow. So first and foremost, I have to give them a reason for being there. Um, Make it engaging, make it real, make it fun, make it exciting, make it captivating, give them a purpose, and then the rest will follow. And if you bring your A game, they bring theirs. So for many years, uh, for my listeners, for many years, you didn't use gardening um, in your classroom. But I do, but you did, you had, you had increased attendance. So it was that love. It was that listening. It was that approach. Um, but tell us about that moment when you had the aha daffodils moment in your classroom that sort of projectiled you on this uh, course that you're on now. Uh, so, so it's interesting because, you know, going back a little, I think that whether it's 30 years ago, 40 years ago, or today, there is far more that brings people together then divides us. Um, Now more than ever, it's far more fashionable to talk about what makes us different. But I think that there is so much that people share in common. And if you celebrate that, 
and share that and then make it inclusive to include how we're different but are still very, are still very much the same. That is the way to get kids involved. That's the way to get students involved. And that's the way to make them feel a part of something instead of apart from something. So that has always been my approach. And that's what makes me effective in the classroom is I share so much in common with children, whether it's food, music, sports, art, all those things that are really things that resound within us as human beings that make us passionate people. So for me, it's about passion, purpose, and hope always, no matter what I'm doing. The gardening thing did not happen until much, much, much later in my career, and it was an absolute accidental success. But crisis equals opportunity. And literally, I inherited a class of overage, undercredited children with a lot of baggage, um, a lot of learning challenges, and a lot of situations that, again, many teachers would have ran from. And instead, I put out an SOS call to my friends on the internet with my crusty, dusty AOL account saying, I need help. I've been asked to teach science. I don't know what to do. Somebody please help me. And about two weeks later, I got a call to the principal's office. Mr. It's come to the principal's office over the PA system. And I go down there and I'm like, am I in trouble? What did I do wrong? And the principal secretary is like, you've got this box. And I look on her desk and there's this massive box. And I am just jubilant. I am overjoyed. I'm like, wow, someone has answered my prayers. There is a Lord above, and someone is sending me tablets, microscopes, equipment, and I'm going to change the world for these, you know, overage, undercredited kids, and we're going to do science. And like a kid on Christmas morning, I rip open the box right on her desk, and what is it? They are onions. And I'm like, WTF, as the kids would say, but probably a little bit more graphically. Um, I'm like, what is this? And they're just onions. And I'm like, this is some kind of evil joke. It's a bad mistake. And like, you know, like a dejected <laughs> dog, I pack up the box. I walk down the hallway with this box of onions. I'm looking at this thing saying the kids are going to throw these at me. You know, this is just bad. I don't know what the thing is, why someone would do this to me. The world is evil. I went, you know a range of emotions in 15 minutes and I take this box of onions and I throw them behind a radiator in an old classroom behind the window and literally forgot about them. About six or seven weeks later, there is a fight in class and this little skinny kid is taunting this girl who's well over 200 pounds with tattoos and piercings and she's literally getting up and going to kill him. And I literally see my career ending. You know, she is charging across the room full speed. This little boy Gonzalo is running around like a lunatic. And then he realizes that, uh-oh, I may die. So he goes reaching under the radiator to grab something to find anything. And in slow motion, I'm like, no. I see my career ending. I see the whole thing coming to an end. Out comes, you know, I'm thinking a weapon, the worst. All of a sudden, he comes up with a handful of flowers and starts waving it in Carol's face. And I'm like, again, WTF, the whole class is stunned. You've got this skinny little kid waving these beautiful yellow flowers in this huge girl's face, and she doesn't know what to do. And that's what we call in the South Bronx a teachable moment. The boys wanted to give flowers to the girls. The girls wanted to take them home to their moms and sell them. And we looked behind the radio, and it turned out that this box had decomposed and was filled with hundreds and hundreds of gorgeous yellow flowers. And those things that I thought were onions were actually bulbs. So I figured we should look inside the box and understand what this was. And that's when we learned that they were actually daffodil bulbs, and we had been invited to plant them. 
Um, and one thing led to another. And that year, my overage, undercredited students planted somewhere between 15 and 20,000 bulbs across New York City to commemorate 9-11. The children got invited down to present at city council. And these were supposedly the worst of the worst who cleaned up really well. And everyone thought they were the college-bound program, which was really funny because the kids got to tell them otherwise. And they should have seen the looks on people's faces. And that's when I realized we were really onto something. And that was the beginning of my little green revolution. It it's really gives me goosebumps just to hear that story because it's grown into such a huge, huge movement for you. Um, so- yeah, 65,000 pounds of vegetables now because that was just ornamental gardening, but 65,000 pounds of vegetables later. My favorite crop is organically grown citizens, graduates, members of the middle class, kids who are going to college. Um, just awesome stories, awesome successes. And, you know, a more beautiful, resilient Bronx and children who are eating their way to health and high performance in school. Who knew? I like to say we got 99 problems in the South Bronx, but growing food is no longer one. Which is amazing. And it also, it brought you to a healthier place with your eating healthier foods, which is awesome. Oh, indeed. Yeah. About five or six years ago, I was well over 300 pounds, probably about 310, 320 but uh, I like to say I'm bringing sexy back simply by eating the food that I grow with children in school. So it was a couple of critical health crises, um, including a wake-up call in the emergency room that really uh, reshaped the way I thought about my own eating habits, plus seeing what I looked like in a photograph. Why didn't people tell me I was that fat? I still <laughs> ask all the time. Um, and, you know, plant by plant, day by day, I am eating myself into a whole new paradigm of health, opportunity, and success and bringing you know, as many children as I can along for the ride with me. So it's kind of cool. Well, not only, you know, students, but you're bringing parents. And, and that brings me to my next question. Here on the show, all of our guests, it seems to be a huge focus right now for people. Um, We're talking about the importance of coming back to the importance of community. And it seems that you have mastered the create the feel, the community feeling, not only in your classroom, but also beyond. How do you foster such an epic feeling of community in your classrooms and outside of your classrooms? Because you seem to you know, incorporate this whole community idea in whole neighborhoods, wherever you work and things like this. So, Well, that's the whole idea. I believe in pushing the classroom as far out into the community as possible and bringing the community as much into the classroom as possible. That's what a community school, and that's what I call the real ABCDs are, asset-based community development. You know, communities that are marginalized and low status are filled with some of the most resilient, hardworking people in the world. And I believe that we are the ones we are waiting for. And while in some political circles, it's real fashionable to talk about building walls, I like to talk about setting round tables and letting everyone come and have a place at that table for a place to eat, speak, and grow something greater. So it honestly does come down to sitting around the table and eating together. Listen, food is a non-negotiable, and when you teach people to slow down, sit, talk, converse, and also discuss what food is and isn't, and in our case, have the ability to grow it ourselves 365 days a year using 90% less space and 90% less water in school en route to outstanding academic performance, OMG, it is game on. Bring it. 
So I want to reiterate to my listeners, not only do you grow food in your classroom, but you also have a mobile kitchen so that your students can basically pick food from the garden and cook it a few steps away. Why did you feel like adding a mobile kitchen was important for your students and the curriculum? Okay, so it's important to absolutely grow food. It's important to have access to it. But if you don't know what to do with it, odds are it goes home and winds up in the garbage. Mm. So if you can teach children how to cook, how to be excited about preparing a meal, how to make something healthy, how to make something fresh, how to make something tasty, how to present it, how to serve it, how to prepare it, how to talk about it, how to multiply that recipe for 30 of your friends, peers, and colleagues, that is absolutely awesome sauce. And you know, listen, fast food is king. Gourmet food, fresh food, healthy food. You know, farm to table has never been bigger. This represents living wage opportunities. So I want children to be able to go home and show their parents not only can they grow it, which is great, but they can eat it, which is great, but they can cook it, prepare it, and make something healthy in simple three, four, and five step recipes. Just last week, I was proud to debut with Gotham Greens, one of our first signature recipes of dumplings that we actually grow in class and prepare in class in five simple steps. That is delicioso. So the kids take them home, and it's rebranding some of the food that we see in the community as fast, cheap, and easy, as healthy, fresh, and affordable. And that's great. And then most importantly, hyper-local, you know, because we're growing it in class, and that's what it's all about. That is such a good point because, you know, what would happen if you sent home, for example, an eggplant and the kids have never eaten an eggplant, it's likely that they, their parents don't know what to do with an eggplant either. So you're right. It would. Exactly. So teaching children, you know, it's great. And parents are very grateful that the little guys are bringing it home. No parent wants to say to a, you know, a six-year-old or a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old, oh, that's garbage. But sadly, they let it they let it sit in the refrigerator because they don't know what to do with it, or they let it sit on a shelf and it goes bad because they're not skilled. They're not taught into you know how to prepare it, what to do with it. You know, it's either green salad, red salad, or purple salad. But when children go home and they can talk about what it is, how to prepare it, what it tastes like, and say, "Hey, look, we can do this!" Bing, 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 and in you know less than ten minutes, we have a delicious, nutritious, tasty, healthy meal. It's awesome sauce. And most importantly, it tends to represent something that they can see in a restaurant in a neighborhood that might be willing to employ them for living wage, not minimum wage. It's not the kind of bulletproof, you know, fast food restaurant food that we are so accustomed to seeing in the South Bronx. But represents a whole new stand and a whole new opportunity. Yeah, let's talk about that because quite a lot of your students have gone on to go into like landscape, landscape architecture, to be chefs and gardeners. Right. Chefs, sweet chefs, food raters, food graders, food service, you know, cooks, culinary, um, hospitality. And, you know, you don't learn hospitality um, in, in minimum wage in a fast food restaurant behind a bulletproof window. But when you grow healthy, delicious, fresh food that people really want to celebrate and talk about, that changes the conversation. That changes the landscape. It changes the places where you work, where you eat where you meet and you congregate. So it elevates, you know, everything about these children's lives and moves them from being bottom-end consumers of 99-cent products to producers of high-end, delicious, high-quality meals that they are involved in. And, and that's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, here in the South Bronx, we are growing, literally in our class, we grow 400 bags of leafy greens per month that we donate 
to seniors in public housing within the neighborhood are both food insecure and recovering from cancer. And we do it in partnership with Sloan Memorial, Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital. And that's great. So we're teaching how food is medicine. We're not sending people to the drugstore with a Medicaid card. We're sending them to school, to a garden for an academic learning experience where they're handing off a bag of fresh produce to a senior citizen who they see daily, who's eating that food and in turn receiving life, health, wealth, and the eternal gift of good health. And that is just awesome sauce. And the children are wholly involved. They're making much bigger connections. It's just so fabulous. It just, it's just, you know, really, this is what education could be like. It's anywhere, awesome sauce. Anywhere, I want, I know? want all your listeners. Yeah, I want all your listeners to go and check out our Facebook page, the Green Bronx Machine Facebook page, the website. See what we're doing. Get involved and get excited. Listen, I don't put gardens in school. I wrap schools around the entire indoor academic garden. So while I grow vegetables, my vegetables grow students, school performance, resilient communities, and brand new opportunities. We are not an after-school program. We are a whole school program. I like the Common Core, content area, and all subject matter instruction. And day by day, as the garden grows, so does your class go, so does your math, your science, your history, your literacy skills, your technology, your interpersonal skills, your faith, your patience, all these things that happen with a garden. When you put a seed in the ground or in our tower garden, a seed well planted can give you a crop of epic proportions so long as you tend to that crop. And in a world of immediate response and what's next, time in this class becomes a thing I must earn and children grow it greater on a daily basis. And it's just awesome. Your curriculums are actually... I like to say from hope to the Pope. Yeah, from hope to the Pope. And literally, you know, I've gone on to meet the Pope. Right. You know, from... uh, Greenhouse from from our classroom greenhouse to the White House. I was just so honored and humbled to be invited to the Obama White House and, and you know South by South Lawn and to think that my students installed a tower garden in the president's house is just awesome. I didn't know that. So let's. Why, oh, yeah. Can you tell us about why? So you over the years you had a lot of different types of gardens in the classroom. You had the, your Correct. wall. You started with the uh, wall garden. Um, and then, but you've ended up using the tower garden. And what is it about the tower garden that is so efficient and good for the classroom? So the coolest thing about, and there's all kinds of technology. And I always like to say, I'm married to my wife and everything else is innovation. So the world is constantly changing. But the problem with the walls is number one, they were very expensive, very cumbersome and very labor intense and heavy. So while they looked great and were lots of fun and they're a very durable product, they are not for everybody. And when they get wet and C-O-M-G, they get wet and messy. And, you know, custodians take umbrage with that. And school administrators and other teachers take umbrage with that. Children don't like to be dirty. Um, so when I accidentally discovered the tower garden at an indoor gardening show, I was like, aha, this thing is low cost. It's scalable. It's replicable. It is portable. It is lightweight. Wow, it's a tenth the cost of what I was looking at. You go from a box to a garden in 45 minutes if you're a man and 15 minutes if you're a woman because you'll read the directions and watch the video. But nonetheless, one classroom period. Plus, you can take it apart and put it back in a box with no other issues. OMG, it was perfect. And it wasn't about the garden per se. It was about everything that I saw as an academic leader as a building leader and as a seasoned education professional that said, wow, I could do all this around the garden in my classroom. So there's no loss of instructional time. The garden is in the class. There's no hoses. There's no kids getting wet. 
And while, listen, I love soil, don't get me wrong, I am a huge soil gardener, so I don't want to annoy or aggravate anybody. I love getting my hands dirty. The purpose of school is education. So I worry about the use of instructional time, and usually soil gardens are most productive when school is out and you don't have access to the children. So I wanted it in the middle of the winter. It could be 20 degrees below. I've got a beautiful, verdant, vibrant classroom with food growing everywhere in the middle of the winter, right in my classroom, and I love that. So for me, tower gardens are the most accessible, replicable, scalable, low-cost technology that really makes gardening accessible to everybody. It's like Lego with plants. So, the, I, you know, by the way, I have a tower garden. I've had a tower garden. Congratulations. Yeah. What's growing five, in yours? Five years. It's actually nothing's growing in it right now. <laughs> I'm admitting I'm admitting right I'll now. I'll send you some seeds. Nothing's growing. Okay, do I, I need to send you some seeds? I, I just planted all of my soil garden. So, um, that's great. Yeah. So I do, but I do, I need to pull it back out too, because it's just awesome. And my daughter really loves, loves watching it. Um, so, but I just want to be clear, you do a ton of soil garden work too, outside of the classroom, you and your students, you guys have done so many projects over the years, all over the Bronx. Right. Nationally and internationally. In 2014, I was the first teacher to have a tower garden. Um, in all of America in a classroom now, there are over 6,000. Um, with our Green Bronx Machine classroom curriculum, we are taking tower gardening around the world. We are touching 30,000 students in Canada. We're in South America. I'm opening up the second National Health, Wellness, and Learning Center in Dubai. We are partnering with schools in England just this morning. Uh, we had visitors here from Italy. And realize this, in our classroom, in the poorest congressional district in America, four stories up, in a 100-year-old building, we have had visitors from 60 countries and six continents. If anyone from Antarctica is listening, please come. I want to get in the Guinness Book of Records. But what this goes to show you is that with a little hope, a little perseverance, and a little bit of ingenuity, we can really redefine the way we do public education. And for me, that's what it's all about, because my wheelhouse is quality of teaching, quality of learning, and growing something greater so that children have a clear pathway to 21st century college and career readiness aligned to health, wellness, and good nutrition, because you will never be well-read if you're not well-fed. So kids need access to good, healthy nutrition in school. They need to understand what good, healthy food is and that input equals output, and that eating across the rainbow is not a bag of Skittles, damn it, but healthy, fresh food. Mm-hmm. And I'm, well, something that I love about your program is that it is replicable anywhere in the world. Um, because it's being shared Absolutely. everywhere. So to my to listeners that are teachers or administrators or anyone who wants to implement this in their in a school near them, or uh, can they go online and get the and order the curriculum in the Tower Garden? Yes, you can order the curriculum. Um, you can first of all, you could order a Tower Garden from the Tower Garden Company. If you need a good representative, we are delighted to connect you with one regionally. Um, we work well with the Tower Garden Company because we want everyone to get the best customer service possible. And the Green Bronze Machine curriculum is available online. It comes with a lifetime site license. You get access to my classroom. You get access to me. You get over 400 pages and 600 active links. But most importantly, it is Common Core Next Generation Science Standard aligned. It is P21 and IB certified. So this curriculum is good in every single classroom all around the world. 
literally on a day-to-day basis, it mimics and, you know, what is happening in your tower garden, in the classroom, and aligns it to literacy, science, math, history, art, technology, and a lot of the digging deeper exercises that I love, whether it's art, you know, uh, the fun stuff, so to speak, cooking, nutrition, but literally you can run school around it all day long. And we're finding that now the State University of New York is using this curriculum to train elementary school teachers in scope, sequence, and scaffolding instruction, which is awesome. And on the flip side, they're using it for workforce development. So it is awesome. I'm proud to say that the New York City Department of Education is starting a Green Bronx Machine Institute. So we will be scaling, yeah, we will be scaling across New York City. We're in Chicago, St. Louis, California, Florida, Baltimore, Philadelphia, New Mexico, um, with with spectacular, spectacular results. And that's the most important. And the most important, happy, healthy students and happy, healthy, engaged teachers and a lot of vegetables. And that's I'm critical. so happy to hear this. I, it, that it just makes me so happy because, you know, I started following you about five years ago. So um, it was way before you had a book and I was just following you on social media and watching your videos. And to see what you've done in that short time is just so inspirational. Can you... Uh, and I'm just getting started. So watch just, out. I'm wow. just, getting, just getting started. Tell Tell us what you notice in students who participate in the curriculum. So what do we notice? We notice that they notice. They notice everything. I have plant police, leaf monitors, pH patrol. We understand, we see that children really start connecting with seeing things grow, that they take a sense of ownership. And then there's all the other collateral stuff. When still children start learning about food chains and food cycles and where their food comes from, they want to become environmental stewards, particularly at a young age. And when they learn that in many places, children their age are working in fields, you hear those magic three words that sometimes upset parents and teachers, but are absolutely the battle cry for revolution. It's not fair. And when children say, it's not fair, I ask them, what are we going to do about it? And literally, they want to get out and change the world. So getting children started on a trajectory of social and environmental justice and stewardship at a young age has an impact in a multiplier effect that lasts throughout the duration of their school years into life. Listen, of children who have actively come together to ban chocolate milk from the school and the principal didn't do it, want to do it, parents didn't want to do it, but it was the children who actually drove this initiative forward and it is now school policy. Those are the kinds of game-changing children that I want. Those are the kinds of next-generation equity warriors that I want. You know, every day I sit in front of a classroom of children who I know will be the next Sondra Sotomayor or the next Barack Obama or, or the next Reverend Al Sharpton. And, you know, I get excited by that. So making sure that they're excited and they understand that they are not bottom-end consumers but top-notch producers. They do amazing things because no child rises to low expectations. So when you grow food in class and you take a little seed – And 30 days later, you have this epic product that you can eat, that you can sell, that you can share, that you can talk about. And that brings us attention from all around the world is really proof that the Bronx can change attitudes now. And that's what this is about, growing something far greater than fruits and vegetables. It's about growing opportunity, growing communities and growing equity. And it's it's so true that. Having children garden, they learn that they learn how to nurture. And I remember when I was a teacher, I was a teacher in a one room schoolhouse, and we did an experiment where we all grew lilies. And the boys, they we were talking about how um, you have to 
treat everything with kindness. And the boys were saying, you know what, we're just going to yell, we're going to yell at our plant and we're going to be mean to our plants and see if they grow. Cause the kids would take them out every day and measure their, how much they grew and all this stuff. So, and it was interesting because the lilies that the boys yelled at and were mean to, they did not, they were stunted. They didn't grow. They didn't um, blossom into beautiful lilies. And I'll add, I'll never forget that classroom lesson that I learned because um, it was a huge lesson for the students too. Well, you know, I always say when you teach children about nature, you teach them to nurture. And when we teach children to nurture, we as a society collectively embrace our better nature. But I have all kinds of reading to plant programs. It's so gorgeous to have this magnificent tower garden in my class and have children sit around it, pick off it, play at it, talk to it. They listen to the sound of the water. Um, they look at the light. They observe. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I mean, I, some, of the, some of the deceptive stuff, the teaching magic I do is I have reading to plant programs where I have the kids come in and read to plants in the morning and I swap them out for big plants in the afternoon and say, see what you did? You did a good job. And the children can't wait to read more and do more. So it's lots of fun. Mm. There's all kinds of things you can do that really involve the art of teaching. Again, aligned to this low cost, very user-friendly, forward-facing product. So I'm thrilled to just use it in class. And you and also, in my life. you also have, do you also, people can buy the, um, the mobile kitchens. Is that correct? Yes. So this is an amazing device. We have what's called the Green Bronx Machine Mobile Classroom Kitchen. It is a state-of-the-art food truck on wheels for a tenth the cost and no exhaust. So, so many schools want to have cooking programs, but let's face it, building a kitchen in a school is costly and expensive. You know, there's building permits, there's construction, there's gas, there's electricity. So literally what we did is we partnered with Stevenson Case Company, which is an award-winning sports equipment. They also make military and mobile hospital equipment to build a food truck on wheels. And this lightweight, portable food truck has multiple cooking ports, a refrigerator, a bain-marie, an oven, a boiler, a broiler. It has a sink that collects wastewater. It is 100% lightweight, 100% portable. It snaps together. It has a telescoping TV camera and video camera, so you can do cooking shows. You can run on electricity. You can run on solar power. It can run on a car battery. And literally, we wheel this thing from classroom to classroom and go, you know, and cook amazingly. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I love yep. it. And it did, you know, it's just several thousand dollars and they are taking off like wildfire. They are USDA approved, NFS approved, UL listed. It is a great partnership between the United States and Canada. So it's it, it just speaks to what is possible and not for a lot of money, because the most important thing to realize is um, we, we welcome donations. So please, if anybody would love to make a donation, we're always looking for corporate partners and monthly sponsors. But this program was born out of the belief that we can do things and that you don't need a lot of money for comprehensive solutions, but you need a lot of grit, resilience, and stick to And that's what this is about. But low-cost solutions can sometimes have the biggest impact as long as there is community ownership of it. And that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then what about your teaching for happiness? I. I read a little bit about that. Um, is it a program or is that additional to the curriculum or what is that? So what we found, this is interesting, and I, you may or may not have gotten to the point that, well, you finished the book, so you learned that I was a Global Teacher Prize finalist. Yes. And when, I was invited to du <laughs> yeah, when I was invited to Dubai um, for the finals, 
What Dubai is very interested in is having happy children. Um, they're very interested in, in what I call, you know, collateral positivity and happiness. And one thing about the children here in the Bronx, despite being the poorest congressional district in America, despite being born into a lot of difficulties, the children who are in our program and who participate with us are exceptionally happy. They love being here. They're smiling. They are cooperative, collaborative. They are kind. They are courageous. They partner together. And anyone who comes here is really struck by that. So much so that the government of Dubai was struck by how our kids are so kind, collegial, and happy together. And they started really studying the work that I was doing and realized that a lot of this is really growing happiness in addition to, uh, you know, good academic performance. Is that when it's called teaching for happiness, you're basically, that's basically encompassing everything you're doing. It was just the Dubai's observation. It was Dubai's observation, but again, we've had people here, we've hosted teachers from 60 countries in this classroom. I mean, the amount of media who come here to meet our children and see what we're doing is phenomenal. I still can't get over it. And everybody who comes here says the same thing. I love how engaged they are. I love how happy they are. I love how they share. I love how they work together. And that's part of what this is. We build teams. There is no I in team, so it's not about me. It is definitely about we, and I like to say we are growing something greater here in the South Bronx. I've added visiting your classroom to my bucket list. Do it. Come on <laughs> down. serious. I got to come. Um, you, talk, you have to. You, consistently through your book, you talk about how throughout your career, you've always been creating overachievers out of underachievers, but... Throughout this time, you've experienced resentment sometimes from colleagues. And I noticed this very same thing when I was working in education with the really awesome teachers, always getting flack from someone in an administration or fellow teachers. And why do you think that this occurs? Well, I think for a lot of people, the status quo works just fine. Um, But the status quo doesn't work just fine for me. So I believe that no child rises to low expectations. And I want all my children to grow up to be billionaires and fail and wind up being millionaires as opposed to dreaming of being millionaires and failing and staying broke their whole lives. Mm -hmm. So I want to set the bar as high as possible and fail at the highest level possible um, rather than set the bar at the lowest possible level and succeed at the lowest bar. So for me, it's about pushing the envelope. I believe that the only way we are going to end, you know, education and educational disparity is to be equity warriors and demand, demand that we bring the very best to the communities that need it the most. Now, sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's Herculean. And a lot of that requires difficult conversation. And a lot of people don't want to have difficult conversation. They want to punch their time card and go home. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm not punching a time card. I don't want to go home. I live here. I work here. I put my stake in the ground, and I am determined to grow something greater. And that's really what it's about. So if you're not bringing your A game to school daily, you're going to hear about it from me, and I'm going to make sure that my kids give you grief about it because these kids deserve more. Um, These kids, you know, if we want to really end the issues and address the issues that are facing our nation and the world, it's going to require hard work. Mm -hmm. And, And that hard work, is going to make some people uncomfortable. You know, we've created a lot of problems for ourselves, and the only way out is through. 
Um, but, you know, I don't think that you should start prognosticating summer school in October and November, um, which is sadly what a lot of traditional education models do. I think we should be working diligently to the very end to make sure that there is no summer school, not have a, a whole nation of teachers who are dependent on summer school money to send their children to camp. So we've got to stop creating systems that reward failure and perpetuate failure and perpetuate the on other interventions and really focus on being the highest performing people we can be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And if you can't handle that, get out and go somewhere else. So I expect, and you know, I also believe that if you're not pissing people off, you're not working hard enough. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a yep. whole nother way to look at it when you start getting, you know, junk from people. Listen, for me, asking for permission is begging for denial, and I refuse to be held back. So no child rises to low expectations. Set the bar as high as possible. You know, the opposite of courage is not cowardice. It is conformity, because even a dead fish can go to the flow. So I don't want any dead fish. You know, I want people who are courageous, who are brave, who are willing to stand up. And the, you know, the degree to which you are not willing to accept injustice is the degree to which you are free. I love it. I love it so much. And you're just empowering so many people and so many uh, teachers and students across the world, honestly. What advice, you know, you've been giving advice this whole time, but what advice can you give to my listeners that are teaching or working with our youth? So a couple of things. Keep it simple. Start small. Um, and I really, exclusivity breeds market share. So no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. So start with the one thing that you can do and do it well and fall in love with it to the point where it's going to kill you. And therein lies the possibility for tremendous success. Now, my solutions don't require a lot of money. What they do require is a lot of love. And no one will go broke giving love. So give love daily, give it freely, you, know, you get what you give and you give what you get. So bring your A game and be prepared to work hard and children recognize the real. So as long as you are authentic, children will respect that. You know, I didn't change the world overnight because I wanted to. I changed it one night. See, we do this one student at a time, one classroom at a time, one school at a time. And I really, I like to keep those small concentric circles really tight where the kids own it. So you know, it's very funny because... As hardworking as I am, and I am hardworking, I will say, kids do all the work, I get all the credit. It's a great system. Parents and teachers, try it. You'll love it. And give credit <laughs> to everybody else. You know, you can, you can make a lot of noise and complain a lot, but that doesn't always work. So, you know, do great things and give everybody else credit. Then they have to own it and be accountable to it, and then you can get them better at the end. And, and just You know, and be positive. Up. Things like, thank you. Oh, yeah, please, get out there and read yeah, my book. It, all the proceeds support the program. So, and and your story, it's not, it hasn't always been easy, but it's been persistence. It's been the persistence and passion that's right. gotten you to where you are. So um, I just can't suggest it enough that everyone who's working with kids, even, even parents, just read the book because it's so important to read things like this right now as a, as a country and as, as everyone in the world, as we're dealing with wondering what's happening to our students across the country. Right. I think, you know, the book is a great book, not because I wrote it, but because I read it. And I really wanted to inspire people to do just one thing that would make their life better. So it is inspiration, perspiration, part handbook, part guide, but really it is a mantra for people to just take ownership of their lives and to never give up 
And you keep working hard. But along the way, there are a lot of great stories. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll take a great ride. But it also comes with the Steve Ritz Double Your Money Guarantee back. So to buy the book, the book supports the program. If you don't like the book, I'll buy it back from you for twice the price. But in the process, you are supporting Green Bronze Machine. Speaking of Green Bronze Machine, please get out there. Check out the website. Check out our Facebook page. Support the kids on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, and that's what this is all about for us. Help us grow something greater. What's one thing you do every day to help you be the best you? Uh, I say thank you. I say please, thank you, and have a nice day. So every morning that I get up, put my pull air into my lungs, I thank God. And I'm not a religious person, but I thank God. And I go out of my way to do one kind of thing to one other person that I've never touched before. And that keeps me grounded. Really? So one kind thing to yeah. someone you've never met before every day? Yep. And that's easy, whether it's hold the door, offer, you know, buy someone a cup of coffee, um, you know, thank them, you know, walk over, give them a pencil, something, you know, it, it, these are, you know, random acts of kindness really impact the world. And imagine if, you know, everybody got up determined to do one random act of kindness a day. That would be a whole lot of kindness. I'm that would gonna, be a I'm, good thing. I'm adding it to my day. I'm adding it to my day right. starting now. Um, say please. Say thank you. Thank you for correcting me. The golden rules, the stuff we learned in kindergarten really goes far. And you know what else I tell people to do? So I'm asking everyone to like Green Bronx Machine on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. But also look up. See the stars. See the sun. Look up. See the sky. Take your face out of your screen. You know, find time to hold hands, to fall in love, to speak to someone, to thank a parent, thank a teacher, thank a mentor, um, or thank someone. Those, those make the huge differences in life. Yeah. they. I mean, they are what it, that is what life is, right? Those are the moments. Absolutely. It, it's about relationships. You yeah. know, it's about relationships. I want to uh, end this with a quote from you. Um, it says, I keep all hours, not office hours. And every day, every moment, every minute is an opportunity to do something great. Each and every moment affords us an opportunity to do better, to get better, to inch forward and to grow. The time is most important to me is constantly right now, each and every second. Well, I'll tell you this, someday and yesterday are not days on the calendar. It's true. It's very, very right. true. Well, Stephen, I just want to say you, you just made my day today, and I just am so thankful for everything you're doing for all of our uh, students and, and actually people all across the world. And um, I can't wait to come see your classroom. Well, you're always welcome. You know how to reach me. For the listeners, please get out there, pick up a copy of The Power of a Plant. It's also available on Audible, and I'm the voice. So if you like my voice, you can listen to me for eight hours straight. Fast forward, you can reverse it, work it, reverse it, tweak it, freak it, whatever you want. Get out there and like Green Bronx Machine on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. You can follow me, Stephen Ritz, on Twitter. I love doing Twitter. We do some Facebook. I'm learning how to use Instagram. But most importantly, get out there and grow something great. Make epic happen and see, se puede. Thank you so much. Thank you kindly. Have a great day. I'm Teresa Gabrielle, and you've been listening to The Good with Teresa G. You can follow The Good with Teresa G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 
If you haven't yet, go to the Apple Podcast and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.